What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry of the Cats Paws. Derek, we knock on wood, we may get through this episode without any technical issues. Well, we'll certainly try. We're having Melbag Friday on Melbag Saturday this week, so... Unfortunately, I couldn't get to your questions yesterday. Just some things, some technical difficulties popped up, which is no big deal. We're here now, so we're going to record this one here Saturday night and get it out and then also have a um, post-game recap from today's loss to Notre Dame, and I guess we'll run that one tomorrow morning or something like that. So wanted to get the mailbag one out to you guys, though. Yeah, and the, the mailbag's deeper now, too, because I tweeted before the game that you could add to the mailbag now that we have something else to talk about so Derek let's just do the football side of things first and then we'll just get into the basketball uh so this comes from Brandon he says do you believe Christian Lewis and Jagger Burton have separated themselves from everyone else in this recruiting class good question um if you're asking me to pick two of my favorites in this class those would probably be the two but I don't know if I would say that they've separated themselves so far away from anyone else because one other kid that I like a lot, and um, I think I've said this before on this podcast, like I'm not a football scout, I don't claim to be, but I do watch most of the huddle tape or whatever for the UK commitments just to get an idea of what they might be like. And I'll tell you, the kid I like a lot is uh, Martez Thrower, the linebacker they have committed from Georgia. I mean, that kid uh, is violent and probably projects as an inside guy. I would guess probably Mike linebacker maybe – uh, maybe weak side, but um, he is a kid who I think could help him next season, and he'll he'll be someone to keep an eye on for sure. But I think you guys know about my uh, feelings towards Chris Lewis. I mean, I, and they've only grown too. I, I don't know if we have any more questions about Chris, so I'm going to throw this in here that uh, if you happen to miss it, he has been – he played – it actually concluded today, but he played this week. There's practices all week for the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star Classic. And Andrew Ivins, who covers uh, national recruiting for us at 24-7 Sports, he had uh, Lewis as his best offensive player all week from Alabama during practices. And then today in the game, he caught two touchdown passes. So he's a guy who I think, uh, you know, the word on him is he needs to get stronger. So, I mean, I would, I would, I guess, temper expectations in terms of him being a freshman All-American or anything next year. But I think he's a kid that two or three years from now is going to be a real problem for a lot of teams. Yeah, that's the guy that we've been talking about for weeks now that they had to keep in the fold because, Derek, I think he's a guy that could probably make an instant impact at Kentucky, honestly, especially at a position where they need guys. And then uh, now with the offensive coordinator uh, search and everything, and that, that's what we're going to get into next. We, we haven't really got to talk about it this week. Uh, so this comes from, 
I have no idea whose account this is because their title, I'm going to say it's James Bundy, but his his title is UK as a women's basketball volleyball rifle school. So <laughs> it says, what's the rundown of the likely OC candidates? Will we get a special teams coach? I'm going to answer the last half of that, Derek, and I'll let you answer the first. Uh, after what we uh, what we saw from special teams, kind of needs to be someone there, right? Someone needs to take charge. Like uh, someone that we know the name of that we yeah. can say, okay, if it's bad, it's his fault. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think it's just uh, in terms of PR, like it just makes sense to have someone with that title anyway to make it. Because I almost feel like whether it's fair or not, and I think Steve's tried to explain this, that like, hey, the guy who's coaching them right now has been here like the whole time I've been here more or less. But I think – tell me if you agree. It's almost like whenever – Whenever you perform poorly and you don't have a coach, it's almost like people are saying like they're playing bad because they don't have a special teams coach, if that makes sense. Whereas if you at least have a guy there and they don't play well, it's like you can kind of blame somebody. Even if the – it's more or less, I think the way Stoops made it seem was like, yeah, Dean Hood was the coach in theory, but like Louis Matsakis was doing everything that he currently does, you know, the last few years. Yeah, I don't know if that makes Louis look better or worse. Honestly, considering that it looked it improved significantly under Dean Hood. I mean, even even the punting was a struggle at times this year with just yeah, snaps yeah. and everything. So I, I think that's something that they have to appoint someone with that title. That way, we can kind of look at it and be like, okay, it's it's improving under this or it's not improving under this. Uh, but yeah, I, I still think that Dean Hood's impact at Kentucky was greater than what I think we all thought it was, Derek. Yeah, and the uh, question was the rundown on the OCs. Is that what he asked? Yeah. Um, as it stands now on Saturday night, uh, from everything I've gathered, there are three guys still in play. Um, one being Liam Cohen, who uh, is the assistant quarterback coach for the Los Angeles Rams. And then the other big name is Joe Moorhead. At Oregon, I heard yesterday that Stoops had planned to meet with him. I don't know. I think that was supposed to take place sometime this weekend because Oregon didn't play. Um, I know Stoops was out in the West Coast yesterday. He was out in Los Angeles, I I know for sure, but uh, very well could have been heading up to Oregon or meeting Joe Moorhead somewhere for a meeting there. And then um, the third one's on the down low. I hate to kind of be this way, but it's um, my source instructed me not to mention this coach. So when it's all said and done, uh, I think people will hear about it because I, I know I'm not the only person who knows about it. Uh, I know at least one other media outlet does. So I'm sure it will come out after the hiring. And he, he could still be the pick for all I know. Right now I'd probably put unsaid candidate third. Uh, I think Cohen and Moorhead are the two guys who Stoops has in front. But if both of those go down, and I honestly don't know on Moorhead. Like I think he'd be a great hire. Um I don't know how li- – I think it's more than a pipe dream is what I'm trying to say, but I just don't know if I would say it's likely by any means. So I think Cohen might be the might be the front runner. And I guess it's kind of a good segue here to the question that I was asked um, from Trey. And I'll let you answer this one, uh, Sean. If you could pick an ideal coaching tree to take an offensive coordinator from, what coaching tree would it be? Mm. Man, that's a very good question. Uh... It's a tough one to answer out on the spot. It, it is because I'm sitting here thinking you'd have to you have to really know the coaching tree and stuff. Oh man, I actually think Stoops has a good idea, like going the Shane uh, Sean well, McVay route. If you're gonna do if you're gonna go the NFL route, I mean, it seems like everybody around this guy, uh, people just love and his system or whatnot. Well, and I don't well, claim to know was, the ins and outs of every system. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Um, you know, I texted you jokingly 
a week ago, and I said Stoops is going to go the NFL route, and like you, you thought I had some scoop, and I was like, no, I don't. I said I'm just just <laughs> guessing, and uh, sure enough, that's that's the way it looks like it's going to go, Derek. What better franchise really to go get it than there? I mean, they've been successful doing what Kentucky wants to do and what Kentucky needs to do offensively. They've been good with quarterback play. They've been good with scoring points. They've been good with passing the ball. Uh, but back to your question, man, it's a, that's a hard question. Yeah, it's hard who, to know where all these other guys came from as well. Like, who who would you go with? Um, strictly college. If I was I'm trying to think of some offenses that I really like to like, I love watching Ohio State play. I couldn't tell you where – I know Ryan Day has an NFL background, and he's been at Ohio State for a few years. But also, I mean, like a team like Clemson, the common denominator here, though, is what I'm trying to say is, like, the teams that I enjoy watching the most just happen to have the best players as well. So, like, any system, you could put most of those kids in, and they're going to look good, or the coaches are going to look good just because the kids are so talented. Um, what's hard to kind of figure out is some of these – like, Lincoln Riley is someone that – you know, he comes from the air raid tree, but he's not full-blown – throw the football 80 times a game or anything like that. He's not like Mike Leach, basically, whereas there's still a lot of run. I remember when, you know, we were talking about Kel Gundy possibly being a guy and a lot of 12 personnel out of that formation, out of what Oklahoma was doing, they really made it a commitment to run the ball. So I don't know. Sorry, Trey. I thought, it was, honestly, I think it was a really good question. So I guess my answer would just be, I think Stoops going the NFL route pretty much with anybody who has a modern offense, as you want to call it, in the NFL, I think do – a really great job kind of revolutionizing uh, Kentucky's passing offense. Yeah, uh, I like that. I like that it looks like they're going the NFL route. That's something you and I discussed on here weeks before the that Eddie was even fired or let go, that yeah. uh, that they kind of that, that would be interesting if they decided, even if it was just like somebody that's not technically an OC, that's either a quarterback coach or an analyst or something involved with passing, and which, which is a good sign, Derek, that – that Mark is going that direction because it's showing you that they're going to at least give it a shot to change this offense and kind of make it uh, more modern and stuff. But some of these questions, I think that's it on the football side of things that I have. Uh, some of these basketball questions are kind of going to be hard to answer because, honestly, my opinion's changed since I watched today's game. Uh, this first one is from Second Take. He says, said, not sure how to submit a question for Friday mailbag. Well, now it's Saturday. So you found a way, uh, but how big do you think Keon Brooks' absence has been? Would the team look any different, Derek? If you had asked me that yesterday, I would have said it's obviously been huge, but I don't think it. I don't know necessarily if it would have changed the outcome of a game. If that makes sense, maybe, maybe Kansas because I feel like that was the closest one until today. But then after I watched today, I feel like it might have especially that second half, because they, they finally learned how to fight today. And I think if Keon had been there, they would have had someone at least that understood how to fight and knows what it takes. But now, after the second half today, I'm starting to feel a little bit better about when Keon does get back. Well, just to state the obvious, I certainly don't think they'd be any worse <laughs> if Keon was playing. Um Again, we'll have a whole episode dedicated to the Notre Dame game. But uh, I think he'd certainly help because it's not to pick on one player, but I just – or two players, really. I just don't think Lance Ware and, and Jacob Toppin are, are ready to, to contribute at this level the way that Kentucky needs them to. And um, 
having Keon out there should erase, you know, the minutes for those guys unless it's just really bad and they, they you know they need a spark or not not even really a spark I shouldn't say. Although in Toppin's credit, I think he did provide a real spark against Kansas there on his little mini six zero run. But um, Keon would definitely help in two or three weeks. I mean, I think the timeline for that now has him what. Uh, Louisville game at the best, probably not even then though, right? It's sounding like later than that. I think there's so. a chance. That's what the that's another question. Tyler Harris says is Keon coming back soon, and Derek, I think there's a chance he misses the opener of SEC play. Like if if you know if yeah. Cal keeps saying, I mean, pretty Louisville. quick after. Yeah, it's just it's just a few days after Louisville, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's like the twenty like eighth or twenty ninth or yeah, something. Not, yeah, I think it's like a Tuesday. So. so I mean, you could you could see this push into January. It's interesting too, with you know how bad is this injury? You know how much does it affect him when he comes back? He's obviously going to have some rust. Uh, I know that they they've been putting him in highlights and and pictures and stuff that they post on Twitter, which tells you he's going through some parts of practice. Uh, he participated in the pro day and stuff. I thought honestly, I thought he would be back by now. So I'm I'm concerned that he's not. Yeah, no, I mean I think that's. I think that's reasonable, but I, you know how UK has always been in basketball with injuries. I mean, what was the deal with Jared Vanderbilt? Like, wasn't it like every game you just never knew if he was on a play, and then he missed what like the last? I don't. He missed a ton that of was, time, and, it, and the whole time was like, when's he coming back? When's he coming back? And then he pretty much didn't. You know, that was a funny back. story in itself because me and Kyle Tucker were talking. He was told that if his earrings aren't in during pregame warmups, <laughs> that he would play, and we were at Vandy. And I had like binoculars, and I said his earrings aren't in. And we were like on Vando watch from there on out, but nah. he still didn't play. So, so I don't yeah, know. If, it was, who knows? Go ahead. It's yeah, it was weird. just a roundabout way for me to say like, basically take it for what it's worth when UK is telling you a guy's going to be out two or three weeks because obviously that was that's what they said originally for uh, Keon, and now it's been. What well over a month or two, you know, and he's not played it at all yet. So they say two or three weeks right now. Um, honestly, wouldn't be surprised if he just popped in next game for whatever reason. Or I also wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. I'm not even joking. I wouldn't be surprised if he just didn't play at all this season. If it's something that they're concerned could lead to a more serious injury. Well, with it being a calf, I mean, it is interesting. I mean, it could lead to an Achilles. Like that has been yeah. connected and stuff. So you kind of. You want to make sure 100% that he's able to go whenever he does because, obviously, if he does further damage, he's he's not helping you. So you kind of want to make sure and just wait it out. We did have one more football question. I'm sorry. I missed it. We have so many mailback questions. <laughs> uh, I want to make sure I get this name right. I think it's John Perrine. He said, any seniors coming back for U.K. football? Derek, I'll let you handle that one. Um. I think the only one that's like official, if you want to call it that, is Devontae Robinson. I think he's the only one, to my knowledge, who Stoops has actually said that the plan was for him to come back. Um, for some reason, I feel like I've already answered this question. Maybe we talked about it on a different episode, but either way, I'll answer it again. Uh, Matt Ruffalo, the kicker, I think is going to come back another year. And then I've heard um, actually from two other people uh, on Quinn Bohanna. I, I can't remember if I said it on here, if I answered it on the message board, but someone asked about him, and like I think last week I told him, no, I hadn't really heard that he would be a guy, but I've actually heard recently that Bohanna might be considering coming back. So um, That's big. 
So that would be big. And I, something I didn't realize with him, I think I just assumed he would be a draft pick. And what I've forgotten about Quentin is that, you know, he didn't use a redshirt year. So, I mean, technically this would just be his fifth year next year. And he would be the same situation as Josh Ali, who I also feel pretty confident about will come back. Yeah. So those guys good. who didn't redshirt back in 2017 that might be coming around to their benefit now, or for Kentucky's benefit really, that uh, they'll probably use that fifth year. So as of now, uh, and also heard Justin Rigg was another guy considering it. I don't know about him. I don't think you'll know until the spring. And, and Phil Hoskins said it too, right? Uh, yeah, Phil might have said in an interview. Phil would actually been his seventh year. So I don't know what Phil wants to do. I mean, it's a, that is a long time to be in college, but at the same time, if you love playing football, if you don't know if you'll be an NFL guy or not, and if you just want to keep playing, then I guess I could kind of see it. Um, I don't. I have no idea about Phil's draft stock or anything like that. To be honest with you, I don't think he's a guy expected to be picked. But I think he's also got a, a young child to, to consider as well. So those guys who, I mean, they got guys on that in the team with kids. They got guys on the team who are married. Like you just never really know. I think where people are at their stage in life <laughs> and what they want to do. And once you've already been in college four or five years. Uh, that's why I think it won't be more than three or four kids. Although I know I'll name off more than three or four, but at the end of the day, the people I would say right now would be Robinson, Ali, uh, Ruffalo. Those those would be the three I'd be most comfortable with, with a chance of Rig and Bohanna. Yeah, and those are some names, too, if it's just those three. That's three solid names to get yeah. back. I think Ruffalo coming back would be huge because he, he took a step forward this year, Derek. He, t- he took over the kicking spot, and that's not going anywhere. With wow. the season that he had, Josh Ali would be huge uh, because he did for for what how limited they were offensively. He kind of was a bright spot at times uh, that you can put there with Keaton Upshaw and all those guys next year. So those are those are some good names. Uh, Brandon actually has another question, and that's on the basketball side of things. And like I said, it kind of changes after we actually had another game today to cover, but he says, I think Cal should do a lineup of Clark at point guard with Mintz, Boston, Keon, and Jackson with Saar and Askew coming off the bench. Thoughts? Well, after what I saw from Olivier Saar today, if he's on the bench, Kentucky's not doing anything productive. Uh, he he was incredible today, Derek. I, I thought that that was, that was who, if that's who he is the rest of the year, and these other guys get it figured out. I really like what Kentucky has with him. Why do you think? I mean, I don't know if you watched his games. Who knows that Wake Forest? Is there just something about Notre Dame that makes him play? Is it because Notre Dame doesn't really have any really? I didn't smell they had very much size today, unless I was just out of my mind watching that game. Like, is that why? Because he just has a nice height advantage, or I don't know. Because I mean, he had a season high today, twenty-two points, and then at Notre Dame last year, he was just abusing those guys, and he yeah, had a. 30. Uh, Last year, last year, I was on a Notre Dame podcast, and I'd actually forgotten the the kid on there who I was with was talking about uh, him being kind of a Notre Dame killer. And I just, I think I actually wrote in my story that had that last shot fallen, <laughs> had he hit a buzzer beater to beat Notre Dame, I mean, he would have forever been like a villain in the Notre Dame basketball lore. But uh, that lineup is interesting without Keon playing, like. I don't know. Obviously, Clark, a point guard, sounds like it's going to stick. He did have four turnovers today. Um, had a couple of really dumb passes. I thought Terrence, and this is not picking on him because plenty of guys deserve criticism. I still think he takes too many bad shots. But, again, it was his fifth game of his college career. But, man, that pass that he had to Sar for the end one, I mean, that was a good look from a guy. And I, I think it shows some potential there. And uh, I like Terrence's effort on defense. I mean, he's he's a good player overall. He just has some things he needs to get better at, of course, like all those guys do. But um, 
Sean, where do you where do you fall on Mintz? Like, do you think Mintz is a better shooter than he's shown? Because he's as much as we talked about Boston kind of struggling this year. Like Mintz's numbers aren't much better. I don't think I don't have it pulled up, but it seems like he's not really shot the ball. That's what I was about to ask you: is what are his season numbers? Uh, I don't think he's shot it well to this point, but I do think I do think he's a capable shooter. Like I think that you could have a stretch where you could go four or five games with him and him shoot above forty percent. Uh, the shots he took today at times, I thought he passed up some good ones, and I thought he took some ones that were were contested. How bad are they? He's, he's 22% this year, off for 22. So he went over five today well, and went one for seven. And, and, and we were talking about this today after the game when we were sitting there working, and I was talking to you about B.J. Boston's numbers. Where would they be if you took B.J.'s numbers out? Well, it sounds like if they took Mint's numbers out uh, from the three-point line that – Probably the rest of the team shooting a decent percentage, right? If you take him in Boston yeah. out. Well, I don't know how many more guys are taking threes, really. Uh, besides, I guess Clark has taken some. Uh, Ask you. I, I know Jacob Toppin doesn't need to shoot them, but he does. <laughs> so uh, same with Isaiah Jackson. He, looks, he but, looks confident as hell when he pulls that thing, but it. He does. He's not successful. Yeah. So what do you think about that lineup? Uh. Let me go back to it because I closed it out here. So, Clark at point, Mintz, Boston, Keon, Jackson. I like it, but I would flip Sar and Jackson if we're talking offense. Um, yeah. I've, I've mentioned it at some point that I think they're going to go smaller. And I still think that B.J. Boston's – Derek, listen, his, his shot looks too good to be as bad as it is. There's no way – that he shoots the ball that poorly for an entire season. If he does, I'll come back on this podcast and say, boy, was I wrong. But I just feel, well, you started seeing it at times today. I mean, the ball went in the hole for him there in the second half. I think he's I think he's got a streak in him where he can, he can shoot the ball. I'm still, like I said, I'm still not ready to say he can't. Uh, I just think at times, I think he takes the shot at the wrong time. And I think yeah. that hurts a lot, honestly. And Maybe I think it's the to say. Yeah. I think it's the opposite with Askew. I think he doesn't take the shots he needs to take. I think they're trying I still think they're trying to figure out, you know, who and what's a good shot and when's a good shot. Uh, just a lot of things. But we we'll get into all that on the uh, Notre Dame episode. I'm trying to see if I I don't think I've missed I know there's a couple. Here's one from Sorry. Screen popped up. You still on there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Uh, this one's from Shane Marks. It says, Olivier Saar seemed to finally play as advertised. How do you think bigs like Saar performing performing well would help the guard play overall? Personally, I think it takes a ton of pressure off them and gives UK a fallback guy when things are rocky. Right on the head. I think that that's the biggest thing, Derek, because I think today you finally got to see what all the fuss was about Olivier Saar if that's who he can be, I didn't realize he had such a good mid-range game. Like that baseline jumper, the one he missed, Derek, I'd let him shoot it ten more times. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like that, that's the shot. that, And they got a good look, you know, for the play to break down. The thing that you see Cal toss his towel after uh, Sar missed it, and it was just because that they didn't get the second chance opportunity. It wasn't because he missed it. Uh, but, no, I think, I think Shane's spot on with it. I think that that's what Kentucky needs to lean on. And honestly, that's where they got their open three-point looks in the second half that they knocked down was inside out by going into SAR. 
he had six eyes on him every single time he touched the basketball. And that's when B.J. Boston hit that three. I think they were down seven or eight when he hit that three there in the second half. One of, I think it was his first one, right? It was a big it shot. Cut it to six. Yeah, nine. He cut it, it cut it to six. And that's that's why I'm thinking that he'll get it figured out at some point from the three-point line. They need him to. They, uh, they do. He has to be good. He does. Um, I agree with you. I think he's better than what he's shown. Fern wants to be part of the podcast tonight. We keep putting her down. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to balance what I want to say on this versus what I want to say on the next episode. But, uh, no, you're right about Sar. I mean, he, you know, he hit those first two to get him up 4-0. And, I mean, he was a consistent guy. And I feel like he might be a little spotty at times. I think he's going to have games like that. And then I wouldn't be surprised if he has games where he only scores 8, 10 points, something like that. And, uh, yeah, I've got a lot I want to say, but I think I want to wait until the next episode. So it just kind of sucks with the timing of this to uh, – well, we're making we people come back. Come listen to the next episode. <laughs> yeah, we we want to make sure though that we got the mailbag out there. This one comes from Ezra. He says, "For mailbag, any chance you see Damian Collins end up in the top five of the class by the end of the year?" Derek, he made a pretty sizable jump, didn't he? Yeah. In twenty four seven, what is he in that one? It's top ten, he's right? 10 now. I think he's tenth. I think he's right at tenth. I'm uh, looking up real quick. But... Well, anytime you're blocking shots with your armpit. And you're, you know, grabbing them with your forearm. Uh, I think you have a chance to be top five. It's hard though. Once you get to that point, it's kind of hard to move a lot further. But I, I feel more confident that he will finish top ten than if he finishes top five. Top five. So he's tenth in twenty four sevens, and in front of him, it's J.D. Davison for Alabama. Who, if you are on the internet, you probably know about that kid because of his crazy donks. Peyton Watson, I don't know anything about him. A.J. Griffin is a Duke commit. Hunter Salas is sixth, and then Jabari Smith is fifth. I honestly don't know enough about any of those guys to say for sure whether Damon would move up or not, but you're right. I mean, when Kentucky first started recruiting him, I think he was either either like a really high four-star or almost or just barely a five-star, and now he's solidified himself. He's 13th in the composite, so he's pretty much jumped up everywhere on these lists, but I think probably the range he is in is where he's going to stay. I could see him move up a couple spots or maybe even move down a few spots just depending on guys around him. But either way, he's a guy that I don't think it's going to happen, Sean, just because off potential alone I think Isaiah Jackson will still go. But my goodness, could you imagine having to be a a team having to play against Damian Collins and Isaiah Jackson next year? Good luck. I mean, his arms – uh, every time I see highlights of him or just pictures of him standing still, it just blows me away how long his arms are. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. Uh, and I think here's our final mailbag question, and it's a long one. Uh, <laughs> it's it's. I'm just going to read the whole thing. It said, hey, man, hope you don't mind me reaching out this way, but I have some Mailbag Friday stuff for you. It's too long for Twitter, which is why I'm messaging you here. I spent four hours the other night breaking down the Georgia Tech game possession by possession. He's doing the Lord's work, Derek. Well, he he already knows more about it. whatever I answer this question with. He, he will already have a very much more informed opinion. And, uh, and this is Corey um, Hensley that sent this in. He goes, I want your and Derek's opinion on some things that I saw. I don't believe you can play Allen right now at all. Well, he was correct because Cal did not. Uh, he's way too sped up. His post-entry pass might be the worst I've ever seen, and he is way behind on defense. 
I don't believe you can play Toppin right now either. He gets a lot of offense and defense and killed us at times against Georgia Tech. Well, Eric, let's just come back and say he's right again. Because <laughs> I told you today, I said, boy, there was some crucial points in that game today where Jacob Toppin was on offense. And I think I'd rather close my eyes and open them and not see him out there. Yeah. And then he finishes it with, do you and Derek agree that you can't play those two guys right now? I also did a rotation and possible starting lineup and would appreciate your guys' thoughts on it and what you think about it. So first, do you agree with Corey that those two guys, you just can't play them? I felt like in the first half, and maybe this is why I'm not a basketball coach, I felt like when your defense was already getting shredded anyway and they were like 0 for 9 from 3, I thought, what the hell would it hurt for Dante Allen to get in against that 1-3-1 zone? and try to make a couple shots, if that makes sense. Sean, you actually coach basketball. Maybe that logic is dumb, but – It's not. I mean, they need the points to catch back up. And well, they had to play good defense, too, and they did in the second half. But I just don't know why it hurt to play every other scholarship guy uh, and then not play Dante, just to see if you could, couldn't get a little bit of a spark to see a couple well, of shots go down. I'm going to say this about Dante, and I was going to wait until we get – I was going to wait till the other episode, but I'll say it here, and then I'll go in more in depth. Derek – I don't know how I don't know how he feels tonight sitting there in a half where they played as poorly as they did and he didn't get any minutes. I don't know how like his mindset and everything like that. I agree with you 100. Uh, percent Take the coaching out of it. If you're playing that poorly across the board, you're looking for anything to spark you. Yeah. And he didn't even look Dante's way. And I watched and Dante was trying to get himself loose. He was. Uh, doing some of the stuff down there, trying to make sure his legs were ready to go, but he never got his opportunity. But I will say this about him. In the second half, he was up there on the front row cheering for his teammates and trying to get them, you know, encouraging everything. So that's a good sign. But then again, kind of wonder what you're doing. If you, I mean, it's the only scholarship player healthy that didn't get a chance today. Yeah, let, let's let's dig in on him more next episode because i got some more thoughts on him. But – uh he had some rotations he wanted to discuss. Yeah, and it's 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 wild because everybody that was talking about lineups was taking Sar out of the starting lineup. But I, I'm I'm say I'm going to say today changed it. Uh, he had Mintz 28 minutes per game at point, Clark 33 minutes per game, Boston 29 minutes per game, Brooks 24, and Jackson 32. And then the bench he had Sar 26, Askew 15, Fletcher 13. What do you think about that rotation and starting lineup? Well, once again, after SAR today, I think you have to keep SAR in the starting lineup because I feel like that he makes their offense. Right now, he is their offense, and he's their offense on the perimeter too because when they go inside out, they have success. Uh, I like like the thing with Mintz. I think you're at a point where Mintz has to play significantly more minutes than Askew. Uh, We we saw that today. Mintz came up huge uh, late in the game. Uh, Clark, I think, is going to play the most minutes of anyone on the team. Derek, I just think that that's, that's kind of what he's going to be. Uh, I expect Keon, 24 minutes per game. That might be something you see on the low end when he first comes back. But I'm willing to bet that that number climbs to 28 to 30 by the time he gets, if he's healthy, at some point in January. I agree with that, too. Yeah. And then Fletcher, uh, Fletcher 13 minutes, remove the three. <laughs> You think he's just going to be out there for uh, just to get a sweat worked up a little bit and then back to the bench? Fletcher, um, he, yeah, Fletcher's the guy that kind of uh, he'll he got the start, and I don't know what's happened since then, but he 
he definitely is in the doghouse. Like that was clearly who he was talking about today. Yeah. And I need yeah, to go Fletcher, back and watch that too. Uh, yeah, Fletcher. Fletcher came in. The game was nine to seven, and by the time he left, it was twenty to nine. So Notre Dame hit three straight threes, and I'm not saying they were all his fault. I've not gone back and watched. What? I think some people have already said it was his fault. I just haven't watched it. Why didn't but, I realize that? Like it didn't. I, I didn't realize how bad it was until you read the score off. That what it was when he went in and what it was when he what, went out. Like uh, no wonder no. Cal was freaking yeah, out. You pointed it out. You're like Fletcher. Like I can't remember what you said exactly. You texted me during the game, and then I realized after the game, I was like, oh man, he he never went back in the game. Oh, after I told that. you he was killing them defensively. That's yeah. that he was out of position. Back in the game, but, but I don't think I people. realized the score. I don't think I realized the run they went on. I mean, it, it happened quick. I mean, it was nine to seven, and then it was thirty-three nine. <laughs> like nine minutes left. So, uh, I actually, I actually wrote this. Maybe it's recency bias. I thought it was the worst half they played under Cal. I know they've had some games where they just got absolutely destroyed, but I felt like as just as a half. That's the worst half they played on Yes, play. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, I they, mean, Notre Dame's not a good team, too. That's what we should remember. Is, they did uh, score 16 points in the second half, so I do think you're right that they're not a good team. Which, uh, 12 which in the Kentucky's ACC, defense was great. Beat, it was in the second half. I mean, they really locked in. I mean, they, they barely beat Detroit. And in their losses, they were competitive. I think they played – I know they played Ohio State. Did they play Michigan State? Was that the other team they played? They did. Lost okay. by 10, I think. So uh, maybe uh, it's not fair. Like I, I don't think that's gonna be a, a game at the end of the year. Like what I'm gonna say is I don't think we're gonna look up and see that Notre Dame really turn things around this year. Like I think they'll probably struggle quite a bit again this season. I mean they got some guys who can hit some shots, but they got such a short rotation, and I think you kind of saw them run out of gas a little bit today. I don't know. Um, I think I'm ready to hop into the next episode, though, Sean, just to discuss this game more. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. we don't overlap it too much. But, yeah. man, that was uh, a lot of questions. We really appreciate that. And that was, I'm uh, trying to make sure that I didn't miss anyone, so I'm doing one quick double take here to make sure. I don't think we've, I don't think we've left anything out. If we have, we will get to it um, as soon as I see it. I'll answer it on Monday's yeah. episode. If we missed your question, it absolutely was not intentional. Just remind us to apologize in advance if that happened. And, uh We'll answer it. Most of these questions go to Sean, so blame him if it doesn't get read. <laughs> me. Everything's my fault. The, the <laughs> mailbag Saturday, uh, it's my fault. Yes, it is because we were having Zoom issues all week, weren't we, Derek? We had it Sunday yeah. when I was in Atlanta, and then sure enough, we had it yesterday when we tried to record Mailbag Friday. But we've made it through this one, so let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, make it out to the Butcher's Pub. They'll be reopening here in just a couple of days, Derek, unless yeah. something changes. Uh, two locations, one in Palmville, one in Williamsburg. Uh, you can visit the butcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. Uh, but Derek has already kind of previewed that you need to come back for the next episode. So listen to Derek and come back, and we will recap everything that happened with Kentucky Notre Dame. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll see you soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.